Good morning. As Andy said, this is Matthew 5, verses 13 to 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Good morning, I'll stop. It's like those teams calls. Um, one of the wonderful things, uh, that's much better, isn't it? Yeah, one of the wonderful um, benefits of traveling to different countries is that you get to experience a different culture, different surroundings, different food, different temperature, different language. Um, I love it. Um, sometimes that can, to be honest, get a little bit overwhelming. And if that does get a bit overwhelming, there's one place that you can trust to ground you with familiar surroundings and just make you feel a little bit at peace. <laughs> there's something just very familiar about McDonald's when you're in a different country, particularly. It's got a familiar surroundings. You know that you're going to be served French fries in a red container. You know that you're going to get a drink that will le then lead you to pick some straws up that are wrapped in paper. I'm not sure I've ever been anywhere that does that apart from McDonald's. You will get your brown bag with a big yellow M if you're taking food away, and you know that the, the toilets are going to be clean. Over uh, the years, McDonald's have perfected the art of being distinct. The whole layout is distinct. What sit the people behind the counter are distinct. The yellow glow of the French fry. I'm sorry, I'm going to make you all hungry now. Um, and uh, I've popped on the screen the, the dictionary definition of distinct. Um, uh, just to call a few parts out. Um, distinct is something which is not identical, something which is unmistakable and something which is clear to the senses. As followers of Jesus, Jesus tells us that we are distinct from the rest of the world. We are the salt of the world. We are the light of the world. Uh, this doesn't take too much of a jump either to understand where I got from salt to <laughs> McDonald's. We continue our series in uh, the book of Matthew. Um, 
with Jesus speaking to the crowds on a mountainside uh, in what has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. So Andy last week spoke about the Beatitudes, the various ways in which we are blessed and the ways in which we are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In this passage, God tells, Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth. Today, that phrase has come to mean a jolly good egg. <coughs> he really is the salt of the earth, um, if you know what I mean. Um, when, I th- when I think of salt, um, I tend to think of salt being sprinkled on food and flavoring food. Uh, it turns mints, bland mints, into burgers. It turns potatoes into French fries. Again, sorry, I'm making you hungry. Um, I'll get commissioned from McDonald's after the service. Um, and indeed, saltiness is one of the five essential, um, f- essential tastes. But for those listening to the Sermon on the Mount, salt was also an important daily commodity. It was dried and transported along salt routes, which were established to transport and sell salt. And in many places in the world today, salt remains an important source of income for local communities. For example, in the Bolivian salt flats, where this handsome gentleman is uh, plying his trade with some rudimentary tools, carving salt bricks um, out of the the crust of the earth, um, which are then distilled, purified, and turned into bags of salt that are are sold. Um, And yes, that is me. As well as flavoring food, one of the main um, uses of salt for those who were listening to Jesus' message was to preserve food, so to, store, to stop raw meat or raw fish from rotting. We returned from holiday last year uh, to discover that the precariously balanced contents of our freezer had sadly toppled over, uh, and so walked into our garage and was, I was hit by a wall of smell, which was rotten food. Um, it smelt disgusting, and for those of you who have had the misfortune of also having their freezer stop working, um, it quite quickly turns into something which is visually disgusting. We had to pretend that somehow this rotten food was surrounded by grains of rice. Um, so I, I didn't want to share an image of rotting food because it really is disgusting, but you can, possibly, if I, you can possibly see around about there the circle which about seven months later um, I took that photo yesterday, is still the remnants of rotten meat that had spilled out of the freezer. Disgusting. The smell still slightly lingers six, seven months on. But before people started using fridges, they used salt to preserve meat, to preserve fish. Um, so when, when Jesus tells us that we're the, the salt of the earth, he's telling us that we, as his followers, bring a distinct flavour to those that we come into contact with. He's also telling us, and the people on the mountainside, but also to us, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And I think Charlie has said before, one of the failings of the English language, perhaps, is that we don't have a you plural, but you are the salt of the earth. We, for those around us, we help to prevent spiritual death, spiritual decay. We bring spiritual life. Jesus then goes on to say that... uh, To the crowd, you are the light of the world. At the time that Jesus was speaking to the crowd, they wouldn't have returned home to flick on a switch and have eight ceiling-recessed lights suddenly come on in their kitchen and open-plan area 
um, with a dimmer switch that can control the warmth of the feel of the light. They would have had oil lamps, uh, which, as you can see, have um, a wick that is lit that generates the light for the room. So when Jesus tells the crowd to light, not to light a lamp and put it under a bowl, there's good reason for that. If you put a bowl on top of this oil lamp, it would be starved of oxygen, and so the light would go out and be snuffed out. So when Jesus says, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but put it on a lampstand, that's just good common sense. That would have struck the people uh, listening to the message. As well as being the salt of the earth, the flavor of God's kingdom to those that we come into contact with, we are the light of the world, and we are to shine our light of God's kingdom to those that we come into contact with in our daily lives. We are to let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Now, when Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth, um, Jesus is not himself likened to salt in the Bible. But when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, Jesus himself was often described as the light of the world. Uh, in Matthew so just prior to the passage about the, the Sermon on the Mount, um, we're told that the reason that Jesus is moving to Capernaum is so that those living in the land of darkness will see a great light on those living in, in, the, shadow of, in the land of the shadow of death, a new light has dawned. Jesus was the light to the area that he lived in. And in, Matthew, sorry, in John, Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. The accounts of Jesus' uh, life in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about uh, the transfiguration when Jesus uh, went up with some of his disciples to a mountainside and appeared almost like light itself as he shone out. Uh, we're told that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Jesus tells us that his followers will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So when Jesus says to the disciples on the mountainside that they are the light of the world, he's saying that the same light that is Jesus, that same light shines out of Jesus, but also shines out of his disciples, shines out of those who are gathered on the mountainside listening to the Sermon on the Mount, and shines out of us. In the opening ceremony of the... Uh, well, sorry. So, so those, those who went home that night from the, the mountainside will almost have gone home and been like beacons of light on a hillside. Um, this is an image from uh, 2010 from a, a jubilee when Hadrian's Wall was, was lit from east to west. So those people on the mountainside will have gone back to their communities and been like light in their communities. In the Olympic ceremony, uh, in the opening ceremony in the, the 2012 Olympics, a representative from each of the 204 nations that was competing in the Olympic Games brought a flag, but also brought a long copper stem with a, what looked like a petal at the end of it. And they were laid at the, the centerpiece. Uh, and all of these petals were then collected together and, and effectively plugged in to a sculpture that um, the wonderful designer Thomas Heatherwick put together uh, in the middle of the show. At the end of the ceremony, after a hugely impressive show uh, put on by Danny Boyle and um, a bunch of others, um, Sir, Sir Steve Redgrave brought the Olympic torch and handed it to seven young athletes 
who had the privilege of walking over to these petals that had all been arranged, uh, lighting the first seven petals, and then I'm sure you all saw the image, the video footage of the light spreading around the torch, and then these petals starting to gather up together to form a cauldron, which does look like an Olympic cauldron, but is formed of individual petals, representing the 204 nations. It became the focal point of the Olympic Games for the opening ceremony as it closed, but also was then obviously standing throughout the ceremony. Um, Jesus is the light of the world, and the same kingdom that has lit Jesus as the light of the world also brings light to the disciples, brings light to the people on the mountainside, and brings light to us. And I do believe that as we as Bethel's Green Baptist Church are gathered here this morning, we resemble that torch in the community that this church is based in. Jesus goes on to say that uh, he is the fulfillment of the law. In the next few verses, Jesus sets out his introduction to five areas of the law, which Charlie and Andy will speak on in the next few weeks. Um, and Jesus explains how he is the fulfillment of the law, not just the letter of the law, um, but the very heart of the law. He looks to, he doesn't, he says he doesn't look to come to abolish the law. Um, I am a lawyer and we sometimes talk of the letter of the law versus the heart of the law. Um, well, in the passage um, that Sarah kindly read earlier, um, Jesus says that he's not come to abolish even the slightest pen stroke of the law. He's come to fulfill the law, but in this passage sets up the introduction that Jesus is, is now looking to the heart of the law that's been the law and the prophets over the course of the Old Testament. Charlie spoke a couple of weeks ago um, about the disciples who were called by Jesus, finding it a real honor to be given the opportunity to follow the rabbi. He used the phrase, being covered in dust, in the dust of your rabbi, being a real privilege to those who are called to serve a rabbi. For this group who chose to, who accepted the call, who followed Jesus, they will quickly have learned that their rabbi was unlike any other rabbi at the time. They will have seen Jesus miraculously healing people. They'll have seen him bringing people back to life. They'll have seen him controlling the wind and controlling the storm and spending his time with social outcasts. But they will also have seen Jesus challenging the rules and the teachings of all of the other rabbis at the time. Jesus explains that unless, in the passage, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not come to set the law aside. He's come to fulfill it, but he's also come to point us in a new direction, which is towards the heart of the law. In Matthew chapter 15, a little later in, in the book of Matthew, some rabbis challenge Jesus about his teaching about unclean food. So for those, obviously, who were Jewish people at the time who Jesus and his disciples were interacting with on a regular basis, what goes into the mouth is, a critical, is of critical importance. You are eating clean food to show that you're set aside and you're part of God's kingdom. But Jesus slightly spins this on its head and brings it towards the real heart of the issue. He says uh, to these rabbis who challenge him that they are simply people who honor God with their lips, but whose hearts are far from God, 
whose teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus tells them they're, they're focusing on the wrong thing by just focusing on the letter of the law. They should be looking to the heart of the law and to follow Jesus' Jesus' heart. He says that whatever goes into the mouth goes into the stomach and then comes out of the body. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. It's wrong to focus just on the, the cleanliness of the food you're putting into your mouth as being the way that distinguishes you, God's people, from the other people. You should be focusing on your heart and what comes out of your heart. That truly is what distinguishes you from the other people. Jesus then um, goes on to, to teach some of this heavenly message, which I'll just briefly touch on, because I know Charlie and Andy will be bringing it through in more detail later, the, in, in the next few weeks. The commandment... Do not murder. Jesus slightly spins on its head and says, no, the focus is on, is on loving other people. So don't, the, the, whilst the command is do not murder, Jesus encourages us not to be angry with one another, but to make peace with each other, to look to, the, to, to love your enemy, to focus on, on the relationship with the person. The law says do not have an affair, but the heart of the law is to love and respect people, to show dignity to people, and to love your spouse. So Jesus says, don't look at someone in a lustful way. Love your spouse and treat people with love, treat people with respect. The law says, don't break your oath. But Jesus effectively says, don't make an oath if you can't keep it. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a man of your word, be a woman of your word. So whilst the written codified law is something that can be complied with by people who read it and understand it, not even necessarily needing to be in relationship with God to do so, what Jesus says when he says he is the fulfillment of the law is to, to look to the heart of the law, to stay in lockstep with the heart of God. We can do this through reading the Bible, through prayer, through fellowship with one another, as part of the church. For these disciples, the decision to follow Jesus, to be covered in the dust of their rabbi, transformed their lives. And when Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he was clearly addressing the disciples and the people on the mountainside, but he was also addressing me, he was addressing you, he was addressing us. We're to look to the heart of God in our daily lives, to stay in lockstep with God as salt and light in the world. Finally, I'd like to look at the last two words of these statements of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In order for salt to be effective, it has to interact with the food that it's being put in. It has to interact with the, the raw fish or the raw meat to preserve it. In order for the light to be effective, it needs to shine in the darkness. The Olympic flame is stunning, but the footage of the Olympic flame in the daytime isn't quite so stunning because the light is just light shining amongst light. We, in order to be salt and light in the world, we do need to be in the world. I believe that we are called to be followers of Jesus in the world that we each live in. I think the... Um, the Olympic torch design by Thomas Heatherwick is stunning. It's beautiful, but it's simple with these 204 individual stems coming together to make a cohesive cauldron. 
But one of my favorite aspects of the design is at the begin in the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony, this point in time where these lights are the, the, the copper elements are stretching up or stretching back down from being in this cauldron format. There's a moment where each of these stems shines in their own little surroundings. As the body of believers, we shine brightly for God in our community across numerous activities that the church puts on, much like the cauldron shining in the, the Olympic Stadium. But as we step out of church activities and into the week, I believe that we are to shine God's light in the world that we find ourselves in. We can sometimes frame the focus of our Christian life with reference to the time that we spend here in church. If you add up together the time from where you start to set off from the house to come to church, the time that you're in church, and the time that you're traveling back home again, it probably adds up to up to three hours in your week. I'm sure that you've heard this before, but if, if you were to take your 24-hour period in each day and take off eight hours for sleeping, more for some, less for others, that leaves you with about 110 waking hours during the course of the week. So that's three hours out of your 110 wake, awake hours in your week. Only represents 2 to 3% of your week. But for the re remaining 97% of our week, we are in each of our front lines. We're spending time at home with our family, with friends, with those we live with. Perhaps doing the school run at the school gate. Sharing our lives with friends in various different settings, perhaps at work with colleagues, bumping into people that we know as we go into town, as we do the weekly shop, as we do the commute. By being known as a follower of Jesus, by being present in people's lives in that 97% chunk of where we spend our time, by being normal, we will be putting the hours in and bearing witness of God's kingdom in the world. We sung earlier in the song, we are freed to be your hands, O God. So as people who strive to live in lockstep with God's heart for whatever situation we find ourselves in, I would encourage you to pray that you would be salt, flavoring the lives of those you come into contact with on a daily basis, demonstrating the life of God's kingdom as it is intended to be that you would be the same light that's been passed down from Jesus, that shone through Jesus, that shone through the disciples, shone through those on the mountainside, and that shines through us into the hearts and lives of those who would otherwise be walking in darkness. As followers of Jesus, we are distinct. We are unmistakably, deliberately, responsibly distinct. Salt and light in the world. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for this time together this morning. I thank you for the time that will follow where we're uh, spending time catching up over coffee. And I thank you for the privilege of us coming together to worship and serve you. But I also pray for our week ahead, that you would be with us, that you would use us, that we would be your hands, O oh God, that we would be salt and light for you as we demonstrate your heart. Amen.